Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, I tell the story of 59-year-old Gail Smith, who was shot to death inside her home in Berryville, Virginia, on July 26, 2009. Gail, who was originally from New York, moved to Virginia after retiring. The day she was murdered, Gail opened the door for someone who shot and killed her. Four days later, Her body was found lying on the floor in the hallway of her home. When police began to investigate Gail's murder, they learned early on that the killer was someone close to Gail. But it would take almost four years for the shocking truth to ultimately come to the surface and for those responsible to be held accountable. This is Gail's story. Before we get into this week's story, I wanted to make sure that I welcomed any new listeners to the show, and I wanted to explain what this show is and what it isn't. First, this is a storytelling podcast. I research, write, and then I tell the tragic stories of the murders and disappearances of these women. While I tell these stories, I try not to interject my opinion. That's why I started Afterthoughts, which drops in your feeds on Thursdays. But in these episodes... I only include things that have been reported by the family, law enforcement, or reputable media outlets. At the heart of these stories are the women and their families. This platform was created to give a voice to victims who have been silenced and to share their stories with the world. I know that every story won't get the same attention from the media and the public, but I also know stories involving Black women and girls are less likely to be reported and therefore, less likely to be solved. To be completely honest, I've given up on the idea that stories like these will ever be just as important as those of missing and murdered white women and girls. And so that is why Black Girl Gone will continue to tell these stories. And I hope that you will continue to listen and to share. We can change the narrative. And the more noise we make, the harder it will be to ignore. In this week's episode, We tell the heartbreaking story of Gail Smith and her untimely murder. 
Unfortunately, stories like hers serve as a stark reminder of the lengths some individuals will go in pursuit of financial gain. As the age-old adage goes, the love of money is indeed the root of all evil. Time and time again, we hear of spouses resorting to killing one another for insurance money. Some people will do anything for money, even the people closest to you. Gail Smith was born in Brooklyn, New York on September 28, 1949. Her parents were Timothy and Rosa Smith, and she had two siblings, a brother, Timothy Jr., and a sister named Deborah. While there isn't much information available about Gail's early life in New York, we do know that she spent most of her life there. She was married once, but didn't have any children. And at some point, Gail began working as a flight attendant, a career that she had for several years until her retirement in 1993. After she retired, Gail decided that she wanted to move away from the big city to a quieter life in Virginia. From what I could gather, it appears that her parents were originally from Virginia, and so that may have driven her decision to move there from the home that she had always known. Gail decided to move to Berryville, Virginia, a small town located about 60 miles from Washington, D.C. in Clark County. I'm not exactly sure what drew Gail to that particular town, but it didn't take her long to find her place among the locals. With a current population of about 4,500 people, Berryville is a tight-knit community. But Gail, even as an outsider, was able to gain the respect of her neighbors. She immersed herself in her new town and began volunteering around the community. And it didn't take long for Gail to become a well-known fixture in Berryville. She volunteered at the local church and various other places around town. People who knew Gail in Berryville described her as a warm, happy person who was always willing to lend a helping hand. In an episode of the ID Channel show Murder Comes to Town, a friend of Gail said that she had a civic pride, and that's what drove her to want to be a part of the small town that she had moved to. After retiring from being a flight attendant, Gail wasn't ready to just relax. She still had a desire to work and, most importantly, give back. And one of the ways that Gail gave back was by working with people with Alzheimer's. It was something that she held close to her heart because her own father, Timothy, had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. As the disease progressed, Timothy ended up having to go into a nursing home. Now, I'm not sure how long Gail's father lived in Virginia or whether or not he was already there when she moved there in 93. But nonetheless, by the time his Alzheimer's had worsened, he was in a nursing home that was about 60 miles away in Harrisonburg, Virginia. According to her friends, she was very close with her father, and so she would frequently make the hour-long trip to visit him. Watching a parent decline from the effects of Alzheimer's can be devastating, and so I can imagine that this was a hard time for Gail. But she was the kind of daughter that was dedicated to her dad. She wanted to make sure that he was okay and being well taken care of, and so, despite how hard it must have been, Gail never wavered in her dedication to her dad. Friends of Gail said that even though she was dealing with a lot when it came to her dad's illness, she didn't show it. She was always in a good mood, always smiling. But there were other things going on in Gail's life, like a legal battle involving her brother Timothy Jr. and her sister Deborah regarding guardianship over their father and his estate. 
As the person who was spending the most time taking care of her father, Gail felt like she should be the person granted guardianship. Her siblings, however, disagreed. And so Gail had hired an attorney. But even with all the things going on in her personal life, Gail was still a very active member of her community. And after years of volunteering and being involved in her community, Gail decided to run for a seat on the city council. In 2008, she took the plunge and entered the race, determined to bring her unique perspective and experience to the table. Though some questioned her qualifications and experience, Gail refused to be discouraged. Instead, focusing her energy on reaching out to voters and spreading her message of community involvement and cooperation. Gail poured her heart and soul into the race, determined to prove that she was the right choice for the city council. And in the end, her hard work paid off. She won the election, earning the respect and admiration of many in the community. And while most people in the town supported Gail, there were a few people that didn't feel like she deserved the seat because her ties to Berryville weren't deep enough. Her friends said, however, that Gail refused to let the criticism get to her. Instead, she chose to focus on the positive support that she had received. I mean, after all, she had won the seat, and so there were obviously people that loved and supported Gail, and that was her focus. After years of being a flight attendant, Gail had really started over and had a new career. At 58 years old, Gail was just getting started with the next chapter of her life, and she was excited and looking forward to what was next. At that point, Gail had no idea, but evil was coming for her, and everything that she had worked hard for was going to be gone in the blink of an eye. By July 2009, Gail had been in her role as a city council member in Berryville for a year. She was still dealing with her father, who was in a nursing home, but life was good for Gail in the small town. When she wasn't doing her job as a councilwoman or visiting her father, she was tending to her backyard garden, which she took a lot of pride in, or spending time with her friends. But before the month was over, Gail Smith would be dead. The events of July 30th, 2009, will forever be etched in the memories of those who knew Gail. Her aunt's call to the police department was the beginning of a tragedy that would shock the small town of Berryville to its core. Gail's aunt had become increasingly concerned after being unable to reach her niece for days when she normally spoke to her every day. It was a sign that something was very wrong. Officer Gregory Frenzel, who was now retired, had known Gail personally and responded to the call and agreed to go and check on her. And when he arrived at her home, he found everything on the outside appeared to be normal. However, as he approached the porch to ring the doorbell, he caught a glimpse through the window that would forever change his life. Gail was lying on the floor, motionless. Officer Frenzel's instincts kicked in as he realized the gravity of the situation, and he knew that he had to act quickly. And so he made the decision to use a two-by-four that was laying on the porch to break the window and gain access to Gail's home. Once inside, he confirmed his worst fears. Gail was dead, and she had been for several days. Her body had already begun to decompose, and there was blood all around her. 
The scene that Officer Frenzel encountered was one that would haunt him for years to come. The air was thick with the stench of death, and the once vibrant and active Gale now lay lifeless on the floor. When investigators from the state police arrived and began to process the scene, they found that Gale had likely been dead for four days. A pill container that she used had not been used since Sunday, and that was also the last time her aunt had spoken to her. Despite the advanced decomposition, it was obvious that Gale had been murdered. Officer Frenzel said that when he took a closer look at the body, he could see a bullet wound in Gale's head. As the investigation into Gale's death began, it would reveal some shocking truths, and as the details began to emerge, the once quiet town of Berryville was plunged into a state of grief and confusion. With every new revelation, it became clear that there was much more to Gail's murder than anyone had ever imagined. And as the truth continued to unfold, it would threaten to tear her family apart. I love the feeling of soaking up the sun this time of year, but with all that time in the sun, I'm always worried about protecting my skin. But with native sunscreen, I can give my skin the protection it needs and soak up some much needed sun. Native's quickly absorbing, ultra sheer, hydrating, lightweight sunscreen formula offers broad spectrum SPF protection from UVA and UVB rays. All native sunscreen is made with a 20% active zinc oxide formula that is dermatologist tested and suitable for sensitive skin. All native sunscreen is made with oils derived from plants that seal in the skin's moisture and is even vegan and cruelty-free. You can choose from one of native's three delicious but subtle scents like coconut and pineapple, rosé, or sweet peach and nectar for your face and body. Or you can try native's unscented option. I love the selection of scents and how subtle they are because that means you can wear them any day, anytime. With all native sunscreen, you get protection from the sun that is free of chemical actives, which makes native sunscreen compliant with the Hawaii Act 104, which was passed in an effort to protect Hawaii's reefs. Give your skin the protection it deserves with native's mineral sunscreens. Go to nativedo.com slash girlgone or use promo code girlgone at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's native. DEO.com slash girl gone or use promo code girl gone at checkout. NativeDO.com slash girl gone or use promo code girl gone. On July 30th, 2009, Gail Smith was found murdered inside her home in Berryville, Virginia. After her aunt had not spoken to her in several days, she asked police to do a welfare check. When they did, they found Gail's decomposing body in the hallway of her home. She had been shot in the head and had been dead for days. The question now was, who killed Gail? As police worked to put the pieces of this case together, they began to uncover a shocking story of evil and greed. When investigators began arriving at Gail's home to process the crime scene, 
They knew that they were already working from behind since Gail had been dead for days before she was found. As they examined the scene around the body, it was evident that this wasn't a suicide because there was no gun found on the scene and they didn't find any shell casings either. In a situation like this, it's always possible that Gail had interrupted a robbery and things had gone left, but there was no sign of a struggle. The house had not been ransacked, and there was no sign of forced entry. And Gail's valuables were in her home and visible. Investigators at the scene also searched for forensic evidence, like DNA or fingerprints left behind by the killer. But after meticulously going through the crime scene, investigators were not able to find any forensic evidence, and that led investigators to believe that Gail had been targeted. They believed that someone had came to her home, specifically to murder her. And that's why there was not a lot of evidence left behind. The only thing that they did find that they knew was out of place was a bouquet of fake flowers, like the ones you get from a dollar store. And they were in the room near where Gail's body was found. Now, in a normal investigation, those fake flowers might not have meant much, but Gail was an avid gardener, and like I said before, she took a lot of pride in her garden. And those who knew her best knew that she would never have fake flowers in her home. In the beginning, investigators had no clue how the fake flowers were connected to Gail's murder, but they would eventually prove to be a significant part of this case. After an autopsy was performed, the medical examiner concluded that Gail had been shot in the head with a 22 caliber handgun. The bullet had gone through her temple, fracturing her skull, and it was still lodged in her skull. They also confirmed that Gail had been killed on July 26th. Now, once the cause and manner of death was confirmed, it was time for police and investigators to find out who had murdered Gail. They began their investigation by speaking to Gail's family. After they notified her brother Tim about his sister's murder, they asked him if he knew anyone that would want to hurt his sister. Tim told investigators that he had a good relationship with his sister, and while she got along with most people, she could sometimes rub people the wrong way. They discovered that there were some people in Berryville that were not exactly thrilled that Gail had won the city council seat, and so police explored the possibility that this may have been political. I mean, politics can be a dirty game, and although that game rarely ends in murder, it does happen. And so it could have been possible that someone was angry enough about Gail's win and position to kill her. Investigators spoke to members of the city council, and no one had anything bad to say about Gail, and no one else did either. And although there had been some issues when Gail was first elected, it had been over a year now, and she had been a well-liked, well-respected member of the council. And so the police ruled out the possibility that this may have been politically motivated. The next possibility was that this was someone closer to Gail, maybe someone she had an intimate relationship with. There was no information that Gail was seeing anyone at that time, but they did learn that Gail had an ex-husband, and he too lived in Virginia three hours away from Berryville in another little town called Farmville. In so many cases, 
a current or ex-partner is responsible for a murder like this. And so once police found out about the ex, they knew that they would need to speak to him to rule him in or out as a suspect. Investigators traveled to Farmville to speak to Gail's ex, but he denied any involvement in Gail's murder. He told investigators that he and his ex-wife were friends and that he had no reason to kill her or want her dead. But he also had an alibi for that day that she was murdered. And so after speaking to him and checking out his alibi, the ex-husband was ruled out. Police and investigators were working on trying to find leads, but they were also trying to determine a motive. After all, they still couldn't point to any reason why someone would want Gail dead. But when they learned about the issues between Gail and her siblings, investigators began to focus their attention on Timothy Jr., Gail's brother. Now, while canvassing the neighborhood and speaking to neighbors, Officer Frenzel spoke to one neighbor in particular who remembered Gail telling her something that was really disturbing just a few weeks before her murder. She said that Gail told her that if anything ever happened to her, her brother Timothy did it. But why? Investigators had also received a call from Gail's lawyer after her murder, who informed them about the ongoing legal battle that Gail was in with her siblings regarding her father's estate. That information, coupled with what the neighbor said, made her brother Tim a person of interest. Investigators also spoke to Deborah, Gail's sister, about the situation between herself, Tim, and Gail, but Deborah denied that there was any real tension in the relationship between the siblings. She said that they all got along and that she loved her sister. However, police were not exactly convinced of Deborah's version of what was going on. And when Tim didn't show up for his sister's funeral, suspicion of him rose. And police began to focus their energy on the possibility that Tim killed his own sister. When investigators spoke to Tim, he denied having anything to do with his sister's murder. He even had an alibi for the time of Gail's death that checked out but police couldn't shake their suspicion that Tim was involved. They just couldn't prove it. In an attempt to get more information, police pulled Tim's phone records, and they learned that he had made several calls to a burner phone the day his sister was murdered. They were able to trace the phone from Tim's home to Berryville, and they learned that the calls were made to a man named Tony Sharp, someone that Tim had known and given odd jobs to. After the discovery, police spoke to Tony, who also denied being involved in Gail's murder. Police had a theory at that time, but they didn't have enough evidence to make an arrest. However, in November 2009, four months after Gail's murder, police got a break in the case. On November 29th, 2009, the Farmville police contacted the Clark County Sheriff's Office and said that they had a person in custody who claimed to have information about Gail's murder, and he was willing to talk in exchange for a lighter sentence and a crime that he had been arrested for. The man's name was Edward Polly, 
And he knew Timothy Jr. because he had rented a room from him. He told investigators that in 2008, Tim had offered him $2,000 to help him kill Gail. He said that the plan was to use snake venom to make it look like Gail had had a heart attack. But Edward said that he told Tim that he wasn't interested in helping him, and the plan never went through. But what he told investigators gave them enough information to arrest him and charge him with solicitation to commit murder. Tim ultimately pled no contest to the charges, and he was sentenced to two years in jail. For investigators, it was something, but wasn't enough. The sentence meant that at least Tim wasn't going anywhere anytime soon, but investigators needed more to charge him with Gail's murder. But after Tim's arrest and conviction, the case began to hit a wall. The evidence that they needed just wasn't there, and no one was coming forward with any information. The case began to go cold, and in August 2012, Tim was released from prison, and people close to Gail began to wonder if justice would ever be served. It would take three and a half years after Gail's murder, but someone finally came forward and gave police the information that they would need to make an arrest. The first break after all that time came when another friend of Tim's came forward to police to reveal that Tim was worried that he would eventually be caught and charged with his sister's murder. The friend also revealed that there was another suspect, someone police had not been focusing on, Deborah. Gail's sister. Tim's friend said that Deborah was also involved in the murder. She allegedly told him that she bought the bullets and the flowers. Now, remember the fake flowers that had been found near Gail's body? Well, police had determined that the flowers had been used as a way to get Gail to open the door for a stranger. And Deborah had allegedly bought the items directly used in her own sister's murder. Investigators were getting closer and closer to arresting Tim, but they still need to figure out how this all went down and who was ultimately responsible for pulling the trigger. And in March 2013, police finally found the missing piece to the puzzle. Tony Sharp's girlfriend came forward to tell police that Tim offered Tony $3,000 to kill Gail, and that her boyfriend had been the one that pulled the trigger. After almost four years, police finally had enough evidence to arrest, and that same month, Tim Jr., Tony Sharp, and Deborah Smith were all arrested. When it came to motive, police had determined that Tim Sr. had an estate worth about $750,000, all of which would go to Gail upon his death. And police believe that this caused her brother and sister to plot her murder. After Tony was arrested, he admitted to his part and cooperated the information police had learned from his girlfriend and Tim's other friend. 
Now, much of the investigation had focused on Tim primarily, but after talking to Tony and Tim's other friend, police theorized that Deborah was actually the mastermind. Tony told them that Deborah would say, quote, I can't wait till you kill that bitch, or I can't wait until that bitch is dead. All three perpetrators pled guilty. There was no trial. But during sentencing, Tim expressed remorse for participating and soliciting the murder of his sister. But it was too late. Tim was sentenced to 23 years in prison. Tony, the trigger man, was given 25 years. And Deborah received only eight years for perjury. Timothy Sr., Gail's father, died in 2010. And the $750,000 estate went to his sister. Tim and Deborah each receive a dollar. Relationships between siblings can be complicated, especially as parents age and hard decisions have to be made. But Gail Smith was brutally murdered by her own siblings because they wanted money from their father's estate. Gail had moved to Virginia to start over, only to have her life taken by the people that were supposed to love her. Instead of coming together to take care of their dad, Tim and Deborah plotted and planned to murder their sister, and they ultimately succeeded. Those who knew and loved Gail know that she was the last person in the world to deserve something like this. She was taking care of her father and her community, and she should have never been murdered. Like I said in the beginning of this episode, the love of money is the root of all evil. And this story is a tragic tale of how people will do anything for it. May Gail Smith rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new story. In the meantime, make sure you follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.